Yes, you did a great job as well. It's always wonderful to hear the Christmas story read from God's Word each year. Thank you all for being here this evening. I thank everyone who participated in both services this morning and this evening have all done a fantastic job, don't you? I think we should give them all one more round of applause here. We heard some of these verses read this evening as, as these guys did such a fantastic job reading the Christmas story for us. And Chris just read these ver- the, uh, a couple of these verses that I'm about to read again for us. But in Matthew chapter 1, verse 18, we read, Now the birth of Jesus Christ was as follows. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph before they came together, she was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Back in these days, the process of getting married was a little different than it is now. Now, usually uh, a man and a woman will date and then get engaged and then get legally married. But back then, the parents of a man and woman would negotiate and arrange the marriage between their children. Once that marriage was negotiated, the man and woman would be known from that point forward as being betrothed. That's what that term means. What the time of betrothal meant is that the man and woman were considered legally married, but without the consummation of that marriage yet. That betrothal time would last about a year, with the man and woman living with their own parents until that year is up. Why did that betrothal period last for a year? Well, as unfair as it seems, (laughs) it was to test the betrothed woman's faithfulness to the man she was betrothed to. If it came out during the course of that year that the woman, let's say, got pregnant with a baby that wasn't her betrothed, that marriage could be annulled, she could be publicly shamed, and she could even be stoned to death for her unfaithfulness. What do we find out happened during the one-year betrothal period between Mary and Joseph? Read it again. She was found to be with child by the Holy Spirit. Uh Uh-oh. That doesn't sound like that'll end well, right? We find something out about Joseph's character here, though. Verse 19. And Joseph, her husband, being a righteous man and not wanting to disgrace her, planned to send her away secretly. Jewish law dictated that divorce papers needed to be witnessed by two people in order for them to be legal. But Joseph did not want to make a public spectacle out of his wife. But he also apparently didn't believe her crazy story about an angel and the Spirit of God being the cause of her pregnancy. His plan then is not to publicly expose her shame, but only involve the two required witnesses and sign the divorce document. But imagine how heartbroken Joseph would have been here. Put yourself in Joseph's shoes here. Here he's been looking forward to being married to his betrothed Mary, and all of a sudden, it seems like he's lost everything. Everything has suddenly changed for him. Even though he loves Mary, he is heartbroken and knows that the child she is carrying is not his. 
So he does what is legally necessary to break off the marriage, but wants to do it in the most humane way possible. Some of us here have had everything suddenly ripped away from us. The plans we had, the loved ones we had in our lives, the home we had, the job we had, and all of a sudden, it's gone. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to go on? Especially now at Christmas time, a lot of us are in pain because of what we've lost. And that's understandable. Joseph was, no doubt, in pain because of what he had lost. But what happens next? Joseph gets a visit from one of God's messengers who tells him to not be afraid to go through with the marriage with Mary because everything she's told him about the origin of the pregnancy is true. Not only is the origin of this baby the Holy Spirit, but he's the one who had been prophesied about for thousands of years. When Joseph woke up from his dream, he now has a choice to make. He can either trust that the words of God spoken through the angel in his dream were true and obey God by legally marrying Mary, or to only rely on his own limited understanding of things and do things his way. Normally, Joseph would have waited the full one-year betrothal period before he legally married Mary and consummated that marriage. But we read here in verse 24, And Joseph awoke from his sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him and took Mary as his wife. Immediate obedience to what God told him to do. Joseph didn't say, well, let's wait and see. I'm not ready to, to make that sort of commitment here. He immediately went and married his betrothed Mary because that's what God told him to do. Joseph knew full well what that would entail. He knew he was inviting shame upon his household. He knew he was defying the normal customs of the day. He knew he would be looked down upon, ridiculed, and maybe even treated like an outcast. But he went ahead and married Mary anyway. Instead of fearing how the society around him would treat him and his family, he knew that he needed to take care of Mary. First and foremost, and take care of the child that she was carrying. And so he immediately obeyed God. Joseph even went above and beyond that and had enough self-control to not consummate his marriage to Mary until after Jesus was born. Why did he do that? Because he didn't want there to be even the slightest accusation or rumor that Jesus was actually his natural son. Joseph wanted to keep God's plan pure by doing everything he could to make sure that Mary was still seen as a virgin when she gave birth to Jesus in order to fulfill the Old Testament prophecy about that. Joseph had a lot going against him to obey God. There was a lot going against him. There was a lot at stake but he immediately obeyed what God told him to do without hesitation and without reluctance and without resentment. Perhaps God is calling you 
to do something that you're dragging your feet with because of what other people might think of you. It takes more courage to trust God, but you know that he'll take care of everything when you do. Joseph knew that what he was going to do in marrying Mary defied human custom, but he trusted that God would take care of him and Mary, no matter what happened. And guess what? God did, didn't he? Real trust says, I don't understand why I've lost everything, and it hurts. It hurts a lot. But God knew it was going to happen, and God allowed it to happen, and God still has his plan. Real trust says through the tears and through the heartache and through the pain, even if I don't see it or understand it, God must have had a reason for it. Real trust says, I know God is calling me to do something. I don't feel like it. It feels uncomfortable. It doesn't make any earthly sense, but I'm going to do it anyway. Real trust says, I know God will take care of me. And lastly, you'll notice why Jesus was supposed to be named Jesus in verse 21. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Because he will save his people from their sins. You might say, so what? Who cares? I don't need to be saved from my sins. I'm not that bad of a person. I've made some mistakes I'm not proud of, but what's the big deal? Here's the big deal. God created humanity with the ability to love him or turn their backs on him. The first two human beings ever created, Adam and Eve, chose to love themselves more than God and turn their backs on him. Because of that, because God knew what that propensity would do to the entire human race, God placed a penalty on humanity that said, the payment for that sin is death. There are two kinds of death the Bible teaches us about. There's the first kind of death, which is physical death, which most of us will experience at some point. But then there's the second kind of death, which is eternal banishment from the presence of God. Imagine a world where there is no love, no light, no goodness, no mercy, no kindness. Those don't exist in this world. All of those characteristics are who God is, and if God is not there, then those don't exist there either. Imagine a world like that. That world exists. It's a place called hell. For thousands of years after that event, when humanity turned their backs on God, humanity has been cursed with the inability to not sin. Every single one of us has lied, cheated, or stolen something, and those are just the beginning. We've all turned our backs on God at some point in our lives. And because of that, we've all earned both kinds of death. Remember, the payment for sin is death. Not only the first death, which most of us will not escape, but also the second death. That is what we deserve for turning our backs on God. We deserve to be eternally separated from God in a place called hell. 
You might be sitting here thinking, I thought this was supposed to be a Christmas service. Is there any hope? Yes, and that's the even bigger deal, and that's why we're here tonight. God loved us so much that he wanted to provide a way for humanity to be restored to him. But remember, because not one person can cheat the second death because of their sinfulness, there needed to be someone who did not earn the second death, which would mean they did not sin. But since not one person has not sinned, this person needed to be sinless and perfect and who is the only being who is sinless and perfect and holy. God. So God paid the price for humanity's sin himself in order to restore them to himself and give us the possibility to avoid the second death. 2,000 years ago, one person of the Trinity, the Son of God, entered human history as a baby. That baby grew up to live a sinless life and eventually paid the penalty of humanity's sin by giving himself up to be put to death in one of the most excruciating ways to die. But nothing would have changed if Jesus had stayed in the grave. That would have been the end of the story. It would have just been any other human that had ever lived and died. It would have just have meant that Jesus, too, was a sinful human, just like us, and received the payment he deserved. But thank God that's not the end of the story, right? On the third day, Jesus rose from the dead, proving he was sinless, satisfying the penalty that humanity had no hope to pay on its own, and giving humans the possibility of being restored with God. This, thank you, this restoration meant having God's presence in our lives here and now and sealed the fate of being with him forever when we experience the first death. The Bible says that this possibility of restoration with God is a gift. We hear a lot about gifts a lot during this season of Christmas. But here's the catch. When someone extends a gift to you and says, Merry Christmas, that gift is not yours until what happens? You take it from them until you take it out of their hands and make it your own. We cannot have God in our lives unless we take his gift of forgiveness, salvation, and restoration and make it our own. In order to make that gift our own, we have to know the circumstances of that gift are true. In order for this to even be a gift at all, the one who is giving this gift to us, Jesus, must have been sinless. And if he is sinless, then he is perfect. And if he is perfect, then he must be God. In order to make this gift our own, we must also recognize that we need it in the first place. We must recognize that we are human beings who have sinned and are in desperate need of God to forgive us and grant us restoration with him. We must accept that we cannot have God's presence in our lives, both here and now, and for eternity, unless Jesus paid that penalty, we had no hope of paying. God is the king of the universe. The Bible describes that for us, and we can see that through the creation around us. In order to accept God's gift to us, we must accept him as everything he is. Since he is the king of the universe, he's king over our lives. And to want God in our life means equals wanting God as king over our lives. 
That's what being a Christian is all about. You may have heard that term being thrown around here all over the world. But what being a Christian is not all this baggage that may go along with that term. But what a Christian is, is a person knowing that they are sinful. And we have no hope to get to God on our own. And knowing that, knowing that full well, Knowing that we are sinful, being restored to God by accepting Jesus, paying our sin penalty on our behalf, and striving to please our King with our lives for however long God gives us. That's it. That's it in a nutshell. That's the last piece, but the most important piece of what real trust is. Trusting God for his plan to save us through the birth, death, and resurrection of the Son of God and trusting Him that He knows what's best for us. So, this Christmas, take the most important and greatest gift that has ever been extended out to anyone for yourself. Come to God in prayer right now. Repent of your sins and take Jesus as your Savior from your sins and King over the rest of your days. And for everyone here, if you have not yet found a church that will teach you God's word and help you grow in your new faith, find one, either here at Fellowship Church or another Bible-believing, Bible-teaching, Jesus-loving church. And let all of us thank God for giving us the greatest Christmas gift we could ever have, himself and the salvation found only in Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for what the Christmas story offers to us. It not only offers to us the declaration and record of the birth of Jesus and the birth of the Messiah, but it also get, offers to us hope, peace, joy, salvation, and knowing that we have a heavenly home to look forward to. I pray if there's anybody here who has not repented of their sins yet and not taken Jesus as the Savior of those sins, and king over their lives. I pray that we do so right now. That's the greatest Christmas gift they could ever give to themselves and, and being restored to you. And all of us, I pray that we would recognize the, the tremendous importance and meaning of this gift that has been extended to us and live in the joy and the peace of that. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I'd like to invite the Fenlands to come up forward one last time and this is the part of our service at the end of it where we have the uh, candle uh, lighting portion of it we used to do this with real candles and then we learned that that's not a good idea uh, so we have battery operated